2: Here's a message from Friends of the Show.
1: Have you been looking for a break from the drudgery of the real world?
2: What if the future wasn't so bleak? What if someone was to save us all? How would that look? I must know, does your microwave can't go vling
0: when it's done shooting?
1: Well, you're in luck, because Cybertopia is a rules-like TTRPG actual play that explores just such a reality.
0: We've got this
2: disco ball, which is pretty cool. We've got these two drones flying around in here, uh, dodging me out of the smoke.
1: Check us out on your podcast app of choice, and here are rolling cars as 16 fantastic players take on weird and wild missions that the corporate overlords need taken care of for totally altruistic and benevolent reasons.
0: Okay, this time it's serious. I would like to turn my uh, hacking hat backwards.
2: All right, welcome everybody to Tabletop Journeys tonight. Very excited for tonight's topic. We are diving back into a a topic that the scope of which we haven't covered in quite some time. So this will be interesting to see how tonight's discussion goes. But in the meantime, Mr. Myers, Mr. Miller, good evening. Let us begin with our favorite game. Glenn, where are you tonight?
1: Where am I? I actually had to look that up earlier to make sure I knew (laughs) where I was. I am in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Why the The heck are you in Pennsylvania, Glenn? Of Pittsburgh at the moment in a little town called Brookville.
2: Why the heck are you in Pennsylvania
1: tonight, Glenn? Why would that be? If anybody noticed on our Facebook page yesterday, we shared our I shared our video from. Rolling out to Dayton, Ohio for a Catacomb. For a catacon,
2: that's right. The three of us are going to be live in living color at a Catacomb. I'm flying in Thursday night. Glenn, I know you'll be rolling in around that same time, but we'll be running games at a catacon. We'll be doing a live show from a Catacomb. We'll be singing karaoke at a catacon because that's what we do. <laughs> yeah, so looking forward to that. That is coming up this coming weekend, so very excited about that. How about you, Mr. Miller? How are you doing? I know where you are, so I want to ask where you are, but how are you doing tonight?
0: I'm doing quite well. Well, the prep for Akatakon is at full steam. I've been double-checking the adventures. I've started rereading some of the things. So I'm really looking forward to that. Nice. I should also mention that over this past weekend, got a preview of, and my first time playing, Monster of the Week. And I know those who pay attention to our community page, I posted about that there. But uh, my youngest and myself played uh, Glenn running that particular game. I'll let him talk on that more. Uh, But it was an amazing good time. We had so much fun. I love the character I made while we were there. I was getting so into it that I actually built a character on Hero Forge, which I also displayed on the community page because it was so much fun to do. I've got a couple more outfits for that character I'm going to do as well. I'll be displaying those as time goes.
1: Yeah. No, that game was a great time, and it was an opportunity for me to practice because I'm running Monster of the Week twice at a Catacomb as yeah. a learn-to-play game. And uh, the game I, session I ran for Lee Wanika, Quentin, uh, my wife Trisha, and my son Nate this past weekend was the second time I've run the game ever. So the third time will be on Friday for at a Catacomb for strangers, and hopefully it will go swimmingly as the last one did. Yeah,
2: I I'm, I am. am uh, I am... Bummed that I'm not going to be able to join you for Monster of the Well, you're running it on Saturday too, you said, right?
1: Just Friday and Sunday. But ah, I could see, probably Sunday put something. together a game on Saturday yeah. if we well, need
2: to. We'll see. My Saturday is pretty wide open and I'm looking forward to that. But Friday, I'm going to be, at the same time that you're running Monster of the Week, I'm going to be running my new Star Trek Adventures one shot the Eldritch Cthulhu aliens inspired Star Trek Dark Frontiers. So now, I want to play uh, that one
1: also. So I feel uh, your pain.
2: Let me put it this way if this game goes well at a catacomb, I'm going to want to go ahead and pull it together and, and do some more because there's a, and well, I should be talking about this at our live show. There are some mechanics about running a game at a convention that are different than your traditional actual plays. So I want to make sure that uh, all the permutations and all the possibilities get played through. So I'd be willing to bet that Dark Frontier will make another appearance in some other venue after a catacomb so don't don't worry too much about that so
1: love it and also if you're available for whatever date the november patreon game settles on you could join me for monster of the week then too
2: oh okay i'll have to go ahead and keep an eye on that yeah that'd be great cool without any further ado, let's dive into tonight's topic. And like I said at the start of the show, we're going to be diving into something that we have not dove into for quite some time. Obviously, with the Wizards of the Coast, OG Elker Fluffle at the beginning of the year, we made a very conscious decision as a show to, I think as we put it at the time, to de-emphasize Wizards, content, Wizards of the Coast content on the show for a while. That is gonna, and we've been talking lately about softening that maybe a little bit. We had Planescape coming out. That was a possibility that we might want to go ahead and talk about Planescape. After what I've heard about Planescape, I don't think we need to. We've talked about about revisiting our Class Warfare episodes, to go ahead and play through the classes again with guest DMs. That's been very exciting. But one thing that we definitely did a lot of before this year, and I'm excited to be getting back to, is talking about some of the Unearthed Arcana articles that are coming out, specifically for 1D&D, but in general, talking about some of the playtest stuff that Wizards is coming out. And when I saw the one that we're going to talk about tonight come out, and when I specifically saw and heard some of the commentary about this UA, I really wanted to go ahead and dive into it. We're going to dive into the Bastions and Cantrips UA that came out just uh, probably about a month ago at this point. Specifically, what I want to go ahead and talk about is the Bastions part of the UA, because... As a throwback to the 2nd edition and 3rd edition Stronghold material, I mm-hmm. was really excited to see what they're going to try to do with it in a 5e landscape. Being the show scheduler sometimes has perks, and this is the one that I decided that we're going to go ahead and revisit Wizards material for the first time in almost a year to go ahead and crack into this into this UA. Now, Luminica, you in particular have talked a lot about Strongholds and the some of the the meta game stuff that existed in earlier editions of D anD. d Before we dive into like point by point on the UA, what were your surface thoughts on the UA when you went through
0: it? Let me first say that while we didn't talk on the show a lot about the UA behind the scenes, tabletop journeys has been following the UAs. We've had internal show discussions from time to time, not. In depth, I know I personally have been taking notes on each of them as they've come out and submitting feedback on those. But in general, we just didn't talk a lot about it. One of the things that we had found a bit frustrating was the ba- a bit of the back and forth, which I guess is part of the process. I personally found it difficult to get really enamored with something to find out that maybe it scored a 69 versus a 72 and therefore wouldn't be included or got vastly changed and it was no longer something that I would like. Because there's a lot of things that I really liked in the first two UAs that have since been reversed. So I wanted to get away from that Yo feeling for me. I'm fine with whatever the product will probably end up being, but I didn't like the Yo effect. That as a disclaimer, what I liked about the Bastions and Cantrip specifically is, One, it's all new stuff that we haven't seen before, so it's not a revamp of anything. It's a thing. Now, what it changes to and how it alters, that we'll see. But I just like the fact that this is new stuff that we know is coming, as opposed to showing up in a splat book five years down line or downstream of the launch of the 2024 product. It is going to be in one of the core products, whether it lands in the player side or the DMG side, who knows? Who cares? As long as it's in the core three. The notes of a document indicate
1: DMG, but.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a good place for it because I think it will provide some good. Here's what I can set up for you. I think depending on if we get anything that leans in towards some of those other features from the 2014 rollout of D&D 5e that we really like that we're not utilized well the patreon the patreon system and the sidekick system if they can do those really well in that same space or a similar space with this i think they could really uh, have something special some really special tools to provide a storyteller and provide a player to build from building a world is a lot easier with a system yeah, yeah. in general I'm really jazzed that we're even having this discussion that it's even on the table. Whatever form it actually ends up being, this is going to provide useful tools.
2: I think that very much encapsulates my thoughts on it. I am really glad that really for the first time in probably 10 years, we have a really uniquely different set of mechanics that that we don't have any analog in the modern game for. That's very exciting to me that we have... Nothing that was this comprehensive. Like I see you shaking your head at me, leaving but nothing that was quite this comprehensive. But I'm also, I also think that the, your other point is correct that there are some things I like about this, and I think that there are some opportunities to go ahead and make it better. And we'll get into those in a little bit here.
1: So. I'll be a little bit more drastic and straight up say there's some things I like about it, but there are some things I straight up hate. Mm. I'll give it to you that that emphatically. But I think the DMG is 100% the right place to put it. And I say that because this type of rule set as an optional rule set, that's the better place for it. Because if it's in the player's handbook, it's a whole lot more difficult to talk your player out of the fact that they aren't going to get a stronghold at level five. When they already read all about it going through the player's handbook and creating their character.
2: Yeah. That's actually one of the opportunities I think that this misses is that I... I think that putting it in the DMG is the right place because I don't think that you want Bastions to be a individual player thing. I think you want to set them up. I, I think that's one of the things that this document doesn't do well, but we'll get there in a minute.
0: The one thing when I was shaking my hand, which the audience couldn't see, was because there is a current 5e analog for this. It's the Kingdoms and Strongholds by MCDM. I have which it on my
2: shelf.
0: Correct. It is, there's no analog in 5e by Wizards of the Coast. There is a 5e analog. For me, as we see the finished product, I will personally be comparing the two systems. I have utilized Kingdoms and Strongholds to great effect in my Barstock game. Yeah. It's been well received and extremely loved by one of my players who actually went out and bought the book because he's the one that got into it. Not all of the players in the game really cared. But he went out and bought the book just because he knew I was talking about it in those terms. I wasn't using the mechanics, but I was using some of the language and the feel from that book. He liked it so much, he went in and got it. And then he's interacting with those mechanics. And I'm helping him with that from a storyteller player backdrop for the game as a whole. And it's helping to enrich my game world. So like I said, on the table, part of your storyteller toolbox just having the discussion is awesome, because even if mechanics aren't great, I still have a narrative piece that, I, and I, that I'm that I i picking up from this that I think is going to be really powerful at the table.
2: All right. So let's go ahead and, and dive in here. Like We've all shared our surface thoughts here. Glenn, let's start with you tonight. What is something that you want to talk about from the UA that either you really liked or that you didn't like? So we can go ahead and, and bet around a little bit.
1: Okay. I'll hit you with the thing I hate first. We'll okay. start with hate. Yeah. So... The thing that I absolutely hate is that starting even at fifth level, if you die, you can just pay some gold and bring yourself back to life. You'll come back to life in a new body, and you keep the next day. And poof! You're all better. And it is already so hard to kill people yeah. in the 5e system that there is no fear of death. It's difficult to create tension in a combat without putting innocents or others in danger because it is so difficult to drop a character or a, pl- a player character and keep them down. And I'm not saying that's an objective, but in terms of a game that is supposed to feel life or death, where your adventures are supposed to have stakes and you're supposed to be at risk, that's my biggest frustration with yeah. 5e already. And they're effectively giving every character the ability to have the wizard spell that I was trying to look up, and I haven't gotten to it yet, but they don't get it until a significantly higher level to basically have a clone of themselves in their stronghold, and if they die, they come back to life in that body. They're totally nerfing that entire ability for, and that that entire cool package that came with that for the wizard. And it's not even that expensive to do it, to raise well, it's yourself, a, it's 100
2: from... Bastion points. And we'll get into the, So, there's this entire now meta currency that your Bastion earns through Bastion turns and through Bastion actions called Bastion Points. And Bastion Points really aren't analogous to gold because you can only accumulate them over time. But you're right, 100 points really isn't super expensive.
1: When you look at the scale of other things that cost Bastion points in the document right. for what we have so far, it's very inexpensive. Yeah
2: yeah I, I think that is fair and I think that the I think the bigger thing that I don't like about it is the point that you raised about the fact that it takes the cool thing that wizards had and it and it basically gives it to everybody it it is once again eliminating the uniqueness that a character can have
1: yeah without adding any more special sauce there's no narrative reason there's no cool explanation there's no a special facility you have to build because you build basic facilities and special facilities in your stronghold or your bastion, but there's not even a special facility that you have to have in order to bring yourself back to life. There's nothing that explains how it happens or why it happens if you happen to be a fifth-level fighter who has no magical ability and just a barracks and, say, a practice yard and a couple of plain rooms, but somehow that small little keep is going to bring you back to life the next morning. It just it makes no narrative sense, it makes no flavor sense, and it steals from another class and makes me unhappy. Yep. It's crap. (laughs) I haven't said that in a while. It's crap.
0: Well, Glenn, that's because we've been talking about some stuff that's been absolutely phenomenal for so long of late that there's been no need to break that out. But it's a shame that this, when we're finally getting back to a Watsy product, it's, it, it popped up. I'll leave that where it is. Let people make their own decisions. Your mileage may vary. Thank you, Kai Rizdahl. Mm-hmm. I will go one step further in this discussion about that particular issue because it, it stuck out to me, and it goes back to something that I've said about a number of things in 5e. It's rangers should be able to have mundane companions. They shouldn't be very sprite type things, right? I've always said a ranger, while they do have some magical abilities, their companions should be real in the real world, just animals that they connect with. That's why we built the Beast Mind to create that effect and give that feel. And I feel the same about, these, about the Bastions. Magical abilities and effects should not be part of things that are not inherently magical. So if they did the cloning thing and it happened, if you had a wizard's tower bastion and it was at a level appropriate step, I would be enamored with that. If they had this resurrection ability, but it was if you had a temple... or or a Grover Grotto to whatever theme your domain is, so basically a clerical bastion, and it was, again, level appropriate, I would be absolutely enamored with that. That would make sense. A fighter who has a, a bastion at that level, appropriate level, should be able to go back and bring up a squad of folks to come do a thing. They sh- he should have a cavalry group that can ride out and save the day if their austere is in the fire and they're close enough to the bastion. Then all of a sudden, he doesn't necessarily get resurrected at fifth or sixth level, but you can exercise the correct amount of bastion points and you had and you can narratively say, your scouts from your... Bastion noticed your people could potentially be in trouble and all of a sudden your cavalry unit arrives to help save the day. That would make narrative sense to me. If They had specific Bastions tied to a specific, we're going to pull your bacon out of the frying pan here abilities and they were level appropriate so you get whatever that kind of ability is at fifth level or tenth level or whatever level you are and you spend the appropriate amount of bastion points however that mechanic gets worked out and the math there works out that could work so it's almost while i dislike its specific format today there's some hope for it if you said you're not stealing from the wizard class if only the wizard's tower bastion gets it Right, I think in general, character classes should have access to a series of general. Anybody can open a bar. Anybody can open an inn. Only wizards can open a wizard's tower. Only bards can open a bard college or what have, what have you. There should be very specific things by class that they can do in addition to a list of general bastions. I think that would work. And that would cause a party to want to make a connected bastion where the wizard does and that's the
1: tower. a cool
0: feature right the wizard does that does a tower the cleric does a temple the bard does a library or, or a musical venue an inn or something of that nature and everybody does their piece that would make awesome sense the druid does a grove or a garden or something like that and now you can build a, a large bastion that's the party's thing and i think that would be hot but every person gets their piece and their special thing so no other class can take from that from one of the other classes.
1: And that brought us directly to my favorite thing about the Bastions UA, which is that they specifically built it in so that you can have your whole party join their Bastions together and everybody still gets to buy their own pieces. It's just all on one property and you can still gain benefits from each other's stuff and that is wicked cool. A little bit of a side note when you are talking about the raising a group of Calvaries, etc. That's in here as a 17th level ability when you can finally create the War Room, at which point you can start recruiting lieutenants who can raise small forces on their own. I think that needs to come a little earlier than 17th level, mind you. I think maybe the 13th or the 9th level area, but it is in there and it's tied to a specific specialty feature.
2: Exactly, And there are bastion rooms which do have prerequisites that only allow them to be used by certain classes. For example, like the sanctuary can only be used by somebody that can use a holy focus, clerics and paladins. That's it. You can't build a sanctuary unless you're one of those two things. There are uh, yep. druid specific ones. There are there are ones that require you to have a fighting style, paladin, mm-hmm. fighter, ranger, right? So like there are some in there. In fact, that's actually one of the things that I didn't care for is that I think that a lot of the classes get the shaft, right? Because a lot of them are like you have to be, you have to have uh, the ability to go ahead and cast spells. You have to have a fighting style, and then there are some kind of like specific ones, but. I guess the rogue is covered by like the ones that that require you to have expertise in a skill, but I don't know. What about the theater,
1: theater? should be bard specific? It's the right. only thing in here that's a yeah. theater th- th- yep. that's a bardic special yeah. facility, but it has no prerequisites. So just I, to help I you come up with an example
2: exactly, and so I think that if I'm looking at this, what my biggest complaint is about it, for lack of a better term. Is that it doesn't go far enough? I think to your point, Lou and Nika, there should be more class-specific things that, like the to highlight the difference between a warlock, a sorcerer, and a wizard. Right now, they're all thrown into the same pile, and it's arcane up to,
1: focus and it's a spell fe- casting focus.
2: Exactly, right is,
1: is the wizard thing,
2: right? So now they're no longer distinct enough, and so they should be they should be more distinct. And that kind of and the other thing is that and and why I'm really enthused that this is a working document (laughs) that is going to be tweaked and everything like that. I think the biggest sin that this document commits is that its leveling is all effed up. It's, you, you talked about, Glenn, how it's like that power, the war room power should not be a 17th yes. level power. No. Why by 17th level, when I'm already a thick level fighter who can do crazy stupid things, am I really going to care about uh, having a lieutenant at my bastion that can go ahead and summon my cavalry? Beyond that, I think that having the levels being 9, 13, and 17, I don't think does this any justice. There should be an alpha level bastion that as a 20th level character i can unlock that's a missed opportunity that is something that was probably left on the cutting room floor and really should be revisited and so because right. i think that's probably the biggest thing that i noticed in this is that it's leveling and the way that it organized powers to levels was somewhat nonsensical to me
0: yeah on that leveling piece it is my largest gripe with d 2024 is, and they, in UA one, it was the thing I was absolutely most happy about. And by UA three, they tossed it. And that is all subclasses were going to get all their abilities at the same levels. The best thing they were ever going to do was that one thing that was going to fix right. and make so much simpler, so much for this game. And they tossed it. I know that is based on feedback. I honestly don't know if... There was an either enough time for people to understand what that actually meant because they didn't get to see all of the classes and how all of that would work together. They didn't realize how much easier it was then going to be to multi class, to do all the other things. They saw it with only three classes and didn't get to see it with anything else. By the time that feedback was done on one, they hadn't seen the second two classes even. So I think that was poorly thought out to end it that fast. I think they should have kept rolling at least through five, got through all the classes and then said, okay, now we're going to talk about this again. Now that you've seen all the classes and how all these things can interact, now what do you think with this, the subclass feature? And I think they also should have, it was just a better discussion that could be had. They weren't doing design notes in the early UAs that they are doing now. Honestly, I believe that was because the feedback on Design Diaries over at Tales of the Valiant that they started doing that and started being much more explanatory, even in their videos, where they explained in greater detail all of the design notes that you started seeing in their UAs. So I think they needed to go back and revisit their design notes in those early UAs to push some of those points forward. I think that issue would have been better. The reason I s- talk about that UA1 thing is because it comes into play here with these bastions. The arbitrary numbers that they use for when these things get their abilities or when they can certain yeah. levels, I think it's just terrible.
1: 5, nine, have, 13, 17? Yeah,
0: yeah. They already have tiers. Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3, and Tier 4 that's when you need to do your thing. So if you're not getting Bastions until Tier 2, you don't have to worry about it. You give your abilities at the beginning of Tier 2, you give your beginnings at the beginning of Tier 3, at the beginning of Tier 4. And I think the reason why you see no Alpha Bastion ability at at 20 is something that Jeremy Crawford has spoken about in his conversation with Henrik on UA 6 and 7 in those YouTube videos is... Their, their end game abilities, they are trying to push to 17 because the feedback has always been, if the game is ending at level 20, who cares what I get at level 20? So they are trying to push things a little earlier, and that's why you're seeing whatever the top bastion ability is coming in at 17 and not 20, because they did hear that feedback. So I think that's why that's happening at that particular level. I could think work with
1: that if they keep the epic boons at 20 and enhance them, just yeah, throwing not, that out there. Absolutely.
2: I think that's a stupid reason. They should make, be making more 20th level content not deciding that they don't want to make 20th level content and therefore making all their stronger powers three levels. Are,
1: <laughs>
0: with all due well, respect, Mr. Crawford. Because all three of us are playing in a campaign where most of us are at 20th level and uh, the game may be continuing for at least for a, wh- a short while after that, uh, we feel that. Immeasurably, we want to hit a milestone and do another thing at 20 that the game by mechanic isn't doing. So, RGM Benito is going to be doing things to provide that. We'll see how that comes in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. But, never, uh, never take uh, gifts. Uh, it, it is Benito. important to note that there's, gifts. yeah, uh, so the chat's off say, but, but at the same time, there's just no official support for that kind of activity, yeah. which I think yeah. is. As you say, a missed opportunity. Yeah.
2: Now, that being said, I do think that getting your Bastion at the very beginning of Tier 2 or end of Tier 1 is fantastic. That's exactly
1: where this should be. You're becoming heroes of the realm.
2: Yep, yep. What, yep when you start accumulating more things that you can carry and you need a place to store it it's like mm-hmm. in Skyrim when you gather books yep. right eventually you have to buy a house put oh.
1: your books in, right and when you read this a lot of it reads like Skyrim oh absolutely houses yes, yeah. too when they're talking about the yeah. armory and it's got mannequins for you to display armor on and weapon yep. hooks on the walls for you to hang weapons from oh, sure yeah
2: I-, I feel like that's a chicken and egg situation right does Skyrim do that and therefore other like other kind of fantasy games are remembering that they should be doing it or has that kind of been a trope in fantasy games and therefore Skyrim <laughs> did it it's a chicken and egg situation but yeah it right. absolutely reads very video gamey. you're absolutely right
1: heck back in asheron's call one of the first mmo totally. yeah. rpgs after everquest yeah yep. when they first came out with houses everybody was all about them bouncing back to the level scaling conversation really quick just so that i can beat a horse back to death because it just resurrected at <laughs> my bastion
2: you paid your hundred um, points and resurrected the horse yeah
1: i did i did just to i because i did finally look up clone and it's an eighth level spell which means you can't cast it till 15th level Sure. So everybody getting a, a, res, a self-res back at their home base at five, just to put that in perspective.
2: Yeah. Okay, hold on. Sure, you technically get it at five, but remember too that it costs a hundred bastion, bastion points. points. Right. So maybe so,
1: by sixth level, because you can you earn bastion points every week.
2: You do, but you only earn one d four bastion points per week.
1: So, if you. Well, it depends. If you have a gambling den and you tell it to operate, you gain six Bastion points. You for, gain, they vary when you use them. When you do the maintain action because you're not home, you just get D4.
2: When you have a gambling den, you don't gain Bastion points, you gain gold.
1: Look at the top Gaming Hall. That's yep. what I'm on. Okay. At the top, this is how you got the prerequisite, the space, the hirelings, and the order. When you use the trade order, you generate 1d6 Bastion points.
2: No, that, I think it. I thought that cost 1d6 bastion points.
1: That's what you generate 1d6 when you give it that order. But if it gets the maintain order, it only makes a d4 flat because it's not running as a gaming hall. It's just maintaining the status quo.
2: Okay, fine. So then 1d6, so that's an average of three and a half bastion points a week, which means it's only going to take you 30 weeks to go ahead and get 100 bastion points as opposed to 50.
1: It should two. still be more than fifth level by you get two special features per level, yeah. Or two, two, two special facilities. Each special facility will generate a d4 yeah. no, when you do maintain. When you give it an order, like archive is a d8, now, mind you, that's a 13. Yeah, one of the other ones is a d10. <laughs> I know.
2: My my point is that you don't get you don't get the resurrection for free at level five. By the point you Fair. by the time you by the time you save up a hundred bastion points, you're probably going to be. Let's level say
1: five. it takes you till seven. Yeah. So yeah. let's reevaluate my example: fifteen right. versus seven. Still, still, uh, still,
2: still lower. Seven still lower. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah o- almost still- almost small enough a difference. We didn't need to split that hair. <laughs> I, I,
0: I think the term you're looking for, Glenn, is a difference without distinction.
1: Yeah, it's a difference without distinction. That's fine. Right.
2: It's still tier two.
0: Honestly, I don't think it's unusual for us to talk about these are cool things these are excellent pieces but oh, wonderful off, stuff in here i look at it as even if i wasn't going to use their system this is a great list of things that i would put into if a character wanted i've got players like benito plays in my game he's in the process of trying to take over a kingdom that's the session that we ran he's actually his character has confronted the king and they're, they're in position and about to go to blows, the big final battle to end the Civil War. When that's all done and we are winding down this particular campaign and we're setting up, these are great things, whether this system is done or not. I now have a blueprint saying, hey, you're at this level, go through this list of things. You can put these things in here. Don't pay attention to the mechanics at this point, because I will be looking at what mechanics will actually be in this. But pick the things you think are cool based on what you've done based on that level. So I can say you're at 17th level, you can have all the things that this would have let you and yeah. build that. And then I'll look at what that actually allows to be in this place afterwards. And then I will figure out how to level all that stuff, yeah. but it's still things that are very good. Whereas before this was in place, which is in theory set for 5e compatible stuff in 2024, I would have had to go back to, if I'm talking a and D book, Either Kingdoms and Strongholds or the 3.5 book, I've probably got yeah. Kingdoms and Strongholds to do that. And it would be a little bit more of a heavy lift to make some of those transitions without bringing in complete whole yeah. subsystems from either older version or this. This at least is going to be based on the subsystems for this game. All right,
2: we're going to go ahead and step aside to record the Patreon-exclusive part of this episode, and then you're going to go ahead and hear uh, a brief advertisement here amid show So we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. All right, so we've all been taking our free samples of Magic Mind that we've received. Glenn, you recently received yours. What have you found with it?
1: I started out almost a week ago with it, and... I got to say, like when I first got them and I opened them up and I was looking at them like, they were way smaller than I was expecting. I was thinking <laughs> right, it exactly, going to be a little yeah. bit bigger than that, but it's literally like a shot. You can shoot it, which is handy because a lot of times when you're working with a supplement like this, you don't know exactly what you're going to wind up with flavor. So making it a one quick swallow is not a bad thing. But on the upside, it didn't matter because I actually like the flavor. I thought that was like one of my first immediate takeaways. It's got a tropical, fruity, papaya-y kind of flavor to mask the earthy mushroom taste that's underneath it, yep. but I, I like mushrooms too. Even that little bit of an aftertaste, it didn't bother me because I like that that earthy mushroomy taste. So I was very pleased with the flavor. That was my biggest concern, but <laughs> went down easy, had a good flavor, a nice, vibrant green color. Yep. And the in terms of like how it made me feel, I was trying it with my morning coffee which is one of the ways that it suggested taking it and on the first two days that I took it I definitely noticed an overall uptick in my overall mental clarity in the day and I don't mean anything amazingly focused and got a gazillion pounds of work done Uh, but the afternoon doldrums just weren't quite the same and I didn't need that afternoon cup of coffee Uh, so overall I was pretty pleased. It, it's funny you mentioned the afternoon doldrum, so we've been talking
0: about Magic Mind for a couple of weeks now, and I know when Josh and I spoke about it not too long ago, I used the exact same phrase. I think um, the afternoon, and, for afternoon doldrum, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Glenn, so you and I both have ADHD, which we talk about on the show fairly frequently, and we have very different experiences with it, right? One of the things that we absolutely share is <clears throat> that lack of clarity in the afternoon, that I'm really slowing down. For me, it's a combination yeah. of the ADHD and my diabetes, both of which are exceptionally better controlled now than they've ever been. So this, so Magic Mind is coming into my life at a perfect time. Yeah. Because I've handled the mental and the medical issues that I have, now I'm, ha- I'm using something that's giving me a boost. I'm certainly not a person qualified to say this does X, Y, or Z. But what I can tell you is what I experience is This was beneficial to me in a way that I have documented proof. I work the kind of day job where I have X number of tasks of varying levels of difficulty, light, medium, hard, and they are scored differently. With just under 200 separate events measured in the week I was taking Magic Mind versus the same number of events the week before and the same number of events the week after that I had a, about an 8% improvement in my task yeah. during those two weeks, in, in, in that middle week yep. before. That is noticeable to me. Yep. It was also noticeable to my boss because when we had our weekly meeting and we were talking about it, she's like, man, you really killed it last week. The fact that I had the wherewithal to do so. And I wasn't losing my mind. It wasn't like I got done with the day and I'm like, I'm fed up. I'm out. I got done with the day and I had energy and the ability to do other stuff. And that's awesome for me.
1: Yeah. yeah. And with a, with a supplement like this, it's hard to quantify like you were able to throughout your work day just because your work is very measurable. But you're right. You can't. It's hard to uh, uh, allocate all of that extra benefit necessarily to then There could have been another a number of other things impacting the week. But with something like this, what's important is to look at it over a period no of time. time. You need to look at a, a space of days and look at an overall improvement or how you're feeling in general. So I really enjoyed using the product for the week that I had it.
2: Yep, absolutely. And so if you'd like to go ahead and give it a shot, Magic Mind has given us a discount code. You can get 56% (laughs) off of the first shipment on your subscription by going to www.magicmind.com slash tabletop. Or if you want to make a one-time purchase, you can use the discount code tabletop20 and get 20% off. Yeah. Sometimes
0: the best thing that one can do is try something out, and then make that decision. Where does this fit in my life, in my plan, whether it be budget or lifestyle, what have you? This has a place. Finding the way to fit that in, that's what each of us has to do as an individual, and we're happy to to talk about it here at Tabletop Journeys and give some folks uh, the opportunity to figure out where this fits in their plan. All
2: right, let's get back to the show. Excellent. All right. So with that, let's get back into our episode as a whole here. We just recorded a bit about the cantrip section for our Patreon. So if you want to check that out, make sure you go to www.patreon.com slash TT where you can check out that bit of exclusive content and all of our other exclusive content that we've been doing over the last couple of months. One thing that I really loved about this UA, and I, for one, loved a lot of the facilities that you could add into your bastion. I thought a lot of them were, of were really cool, and a lot of them were really neat. My personal favorite was the Menagerie. I'm not going to lie. We gave a lot of crap to to inappropriate leveling and powers that were beyond or not, not strong enough for a p- per given level or whatever like that. I think the Menagerie in particular with the... Way that you can uh, recruit help to go ahead and run this animal, uh, run these animals. The animals that you get and everything like that, I thought perfectly placed at level 13 as a facility. It's a nice, powerful thing that you can go ahead and add in there that really has benefit that you can use at level 13. I think that it's a fantastic one. And I think that it's also a lot of fun, right? I think that having being that kind of like eccentric tier three hero, can you imagine a level 13 bard who has tigers or whatever that live or like ostriches that live in his backyard you were talking about it earlier Lewinique about how some it needed more kind of player centric lore flavor stuff I think the yeah. menagerie in particular in the hands of the right character, can do that. There's a lot of neat flavor that I can go ahead and bring to the table uh, about the kind of person that you're dealing with. The menagerie is one of those things that may not be super desirable as a player character, but I can see when you visit a bastion that belongs to an NPC and they have the menagerie in the back and it lets you the level and the prestige that NPC patron has, it adds that sort of level of Eccentricity that sometimes an NPC or a patron has trouble bring that across. Like you can go ahead and say he's a little weird, but it's hard to illustrate that necessarily. Yeah. Giving them a menagerie now opens up. That yeah. that that one in particular was really neat.
0: Yeah, I, I really cool. think of a patron who is actually a secret member of the of the warp and weft having a menagerie that is filled with all insects and invertebrate worms and slugs not snakes but worms and slugs giant pill bugs yeah uh, i think that's
2: one of the options that you can get yeah Yeah.
0: dire spiders or something some crazy thing and have them creeping and crawling and doing all these things or what have you i think that would be awesome and then you could just have an adventure of they go to see the boss they're there to get a thing they're there to get a mission they get called up and nobody can be found and all of a sudden they realize oh my god Somebody left the door open on the spider cage and the giant spider's not seen. And they're like, we got to find this thing before it gets out into town. What a great fifth level adventure or a third or fourth level, like a low tier adventure. They got to go find this thing and it's not kill it. They got to capture it because it belongs to their patron. That's an amazing adventure that's just dying to be written.
2: Let me take that one step further, and you know how much it's going to pain me to say this, but imagine the swarm keeper ranger that invites you into his sitting room and the giant spiders milling about the dining room, crawling over the table. Maybe one comes up and curls into his lap and he strokes it like all Blofeld style. As it goes, imagine the creep I'm getting goosebumps just even thinking about it. Like, it's just, it's
1: awful. Yeah. yeah. Pretending to, just to point it out, Josh, you were just pretending to pet a giant spider. Absolutely.
2: In your lap. I was, that's how in character yeah. I was, Glenn. Even I, method actor that I am, can pretend to pet a giant
0: He does the thing. thing.
1: Yeah. So I dig yeah. the menagerie too. Uh, I thought it was really cool that they your creatures if you choose cuz you can choose not to protect them cuz defenders can die the creatures of your menagerie can be bastion defenders if your bastion is attacked too i thought that was a cool yeah. addition on top yep. of your regular defenders
2: yep. not just that uh, jackals are only 50 gold piece a, a pop at level 13 50 gold pieces is nothing especially if you've also got the gambling den and you're getting like 1500 a week or whatever like that can you imagine right? army jackals, of hi- an armor of jackals or hyenas or whatever like, oh, that'd be brutal menagerie-
0: when the party goes to, uh, to get to that bad guy, all of a sudden you realize you're, you're talking to a Leonid, and he stands up and he says, be prepared, eh. <laughs> and then sends them all out. That's awesome that's just yeah. awesome i guess yeah this right? stuff just writes itself it really does
2: <laughs> i also thought so i mean that that was one that i thought was really good i also thought the guild hall was really fun mostly because we just wrote a bash of a, a faction or are in the middle of writing a faction book and once again wizard stole our idea so i mean like stuff like that i think that the facilities in particular i think were the strongest point of this ua
1: i would agree i have a favorite facility too since you brought it up oh nice okay it's the thir- it's a 13th level also. You can get something like it. And I, I, that's something else. I'll mention it because it works together. All right. At fifth level, you can get a library to do mm-hmm. research, right? But one of the upsides is every time you hit one of the levels where you can get a new one, you can change one you used to have also. So you can upgrade your library because you don't need a library and an archive. An archive is the one to have. Yeah. Um, because the 13th level archive not only comes with a giant library and some scholars to do research for you, and they effectively get the effects of a legend lore spell, and they come back to you with the results a week later. But the archive also comes with one special or magic book, and then there's a list of reference books that they can come with, like big Bigsby's Handy Arcane Codex and the Chronipsis Chronicles, and each of these gives you a different thing. If you spend time in the in your archive studying Bigsby's Handy Arcane Codex is an example, it gives you advantage on any intelligence arcana check you make when you take the study action to recall lore about spells, magic items, eldritch symbols, magic traditions, and planes of existence. It's specific. But cool, because it's giving you full advantage on on your lore roll for that. If you expand your archive, you can get more than one book. So when you expand your archive to a vast facility, you can add two additional reference books and have three out of five of them in your archive to go and study to give you advantage on the different things that you can learn from arcana to history to investigation to nature and religion. There's a book for each of them. And I just thought that was a wicked cool way to add like – that book nerd aspect to your wizard yeah, or yeah. any cleric or in any kind of, any kind of scholarly or learned classes. Bast-
0: yeah. Um, What I love about both of your ideas, without me saying this is my favorite, I will actually talk about my favorite in a moment, but what I love about both the Menagerie and the library that you talked about is the opportunity for either Wizards to later create a few things or for third-party content creators to create things. Wizards has a certain amount of beasts, but they're not all of them. Our planet Earth in real life has thousands of beasts millions of beasts and creatures of of all shapes and sizes, and there are different breeds within those. There are all these different things. So using the templates for what they have so you can approximate things like damages or whatever, but you can be creative with effects, abilities, special features, special attacks, or special defenses. I can see books of menageries that are designed and now list bastion points or give some kind of talk about where they would fit in a system like that so you can now look at creating other things that are to you that will work so i'm thinking about for wonderful gamers that live in New Zealand that are sitting with the Traveler's Guide to Factions on their shelves. They have critters in New Zealand that I don't see unless I'm watching the 72 most deadly animals in Australia or what have you. They've got creatures that we don't see. People who are content creators there would literally have a bunch of uh, animals and creatures that they might want to put into their bastions that make them think of their environment, their home, the things that they see. They could build a different kind of spider, giant or otherwise, that, that we wouldn't here in the Northeast, where we don't have certain types of things. We have spiders. We don't have all of those kinds of spiders, at least not natively. Our spiders are big enough. Ha- <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying we need more, but let's talk about lizards. We'll talk about my per- or snakes. One of my personal great areas of great concern. I do not like me a reptile.
1: Oh, and to the rope, nope rope.
0: Heard. <laughs> yep, no to the nope rope. But what I can honestly say is what we have in the Northeast is very different than the volume that they have in other places in the world. And while I think D&D, thanks to the U on T, has a fair amount of them listed, they certainly don't have all of them. And there's different abilities and different things that you could do with them. And I think that this is a perfect avenue to have little supplements to say, hey, Here's a 15-pager with a bunch of stat blocks for various beasts that will actually work with this bastion system. And you can add some cool things that are very unique to your menagerie. Similarly, with the archive, same thing. You could create new books for that. Different kinds of books, historical references, they don't have to be just that. You could create a book on various game worlds or campaign worlds. So now there could be a book on Dragonlance lore. There could be a Crin uh, lore. There could be a book on the different areas of, of Fa- Theron. You could get very granular with those books that could be unique to your campaign or your campaign world, but th- we now have a, a framework where you can do the things that really work for your specific game, and here's some neat, and add that in.
1: Now, and the idea of third-party creation definitely could play in, and I do dig that. You brought up snakes and spiders and things in the Menagerie, and one of the things that you can draw from The garden or the greenhouse, particularly if you choose to plant poisonous plants in it, is you can craft poison out of it. So what's to say, if you're running that type of menagerie, that you can take a similar ability in terms of a third-party creation and set it up so where instead of mixing poisons, now you're milking a snake for your poisons or what (laughs) have you and drawing your poisons from your menagerie instead of your greenhouse or... What if you could combine them and make an even more powerful poison out of the herbs and the venoms? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that.
2: Oh, God. That's creepy. That's just. Deal. No king snake. I'm thinking That's some good. kind of
0: arsenic-infused snake venom would be just nasty. Oh my God. And then you throw a Warp in the Weft curse in there, so it's not easily defeated by a simple paladin touch yep. of hand. That would mm-hmm. be sweet. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think if we're talking about projects that we need to go ahead and add into our portfolio, maybe when this becomes official, is a bastion facility to support each of the factions that, that, we just, that we're writing now. So if you right. are a member yep. of X faction, you can add this room to your bastion, that kind of thing. Yeah, go ahead, Glenn.
1: Just to throw in another faction side note that doesn't have to do with bastions, I have already written the Guardians of the Grave and the Ember Weavers into my Monster of the Weak world.
2: Nice. I'm loving that. We're going to have to talk about that up. later. Amazing! Can't say Probably. no. By the time this episode comes out, it will have already come out. It's entirely possible that the big bad in my Star Trek game has some connections to what I perceive the Warp and the Weft
1: to be. Nice. Yeah, it's like, hard for it not to work I, into our storytelling because you know, it's so yeah, much in our minds Yeah, the,
2: right um, the I'm not sure if you I'm not sure if you guys watched that. I, I produced a trailer for it, but again, it's spoilerific. But there is this uh, this. Vague character that is referenced to in the sport in the trailer called Mother. That uh, so yeah, there's uh, there's some stuff in there. But, love it. Yeah, yeah. Again, I think honestly, the Bastion facilities, the rooms that are in there, are are the strong point of this. I think that the weakest part of this is in the structure of it. Lewinika, you'd also talked a little bit about the way that like various players can combine their bastions. I think that they, really all that they say is, that, "Oh yeah, players can combine their bastions, but they're still all unique and they still have their own group of hirelings." I think that's a missed opportunity. I think that if a party wants to go ahead and pool their resources to make a, a bigger, better bastion, they should be able to. But, but don't yeah. think you're off the hook, Lewinika. You still haven't talked about what which uh, which facility was your favorite. Right.
0: So. I'm not going to go out and say it's my absolute favorite, but I am going to say the one that caught my eye and made me really want to talk on it because of its implications was the training area. And and it just really speaks to my style. I like the more, uh, I say mundane, not because they're boring, but because they're less magical. It's not that I don't like magic. I just feel a lot of kinship to the more mortal side of the fantasy realm. So I like the training facility and the types of things that it's able to do, whether it's skills expertise that you're gaining with by empowering your characters or its tools expertise so you can be building something i really think it'd be awesome for an artificer in their bastion to have more of those arcane focused things and this training facility so they're literally training up on how to build these things and their actual they're getting benefits to their crafting i think there's some really nice narrative things there. I think of Tony Stark and his basement where he was building and crafting the the Iron Man suit. Most importantly, I just love the concept of the both the battle expert and the unarmed expert and the way those mechanically work. I think those are very sound. Not sure about the leveling. I'm I think it's okay. I think there might need to be some scaling involved with that as you go. But I love the idea of the weapons expert reducing damage because of your training. I think of uh, Spartacus, the television show, and all the training they did in the first season of that show, and this speaks to that. Similarly, with Unarmed Combat Expert, I think of any number of dojos and monk training type movies and shows and all those different things where it speaks to where 5e has had a really bad history of the way unarmed combat works, an extra d4 on top of a couple of the other things that you can build a character to do is very needed. Unless it is done in a good way through d d Beyond, it could be a little hard to navigate all the different die you're rolling for an unarmed attack to get to the right number. But I think the balance works really well if you're adding all those things. Something that Isn't specifically in this UA, but was in more recent UAs five, six, and seven, where the alterations and changes to the monk character class and unarmed combat in general in more recent UAs is vastly improved with 2024 D and D, and this augmenting that is really hot. I really like some of the things that they're doing with monks now. I'm interested to see what the final product will look like, but if some of these elements get in there, I think it's going to make the monk a much more good feeling character in comparison with other characters on the battlefield.
2: Yeah, I think that the training area in particular definitely feeds itself to that on screen training montage that's going to allow your characters to get a little bit better by training with the experts. I think the flaw in the training area, and I, I really liked it, but I think that the flaw in the training area is that it pigeonholes the campaign into a certain type of campaign. You can't be far away from your bastion if the goal of, for you as a character is to go back to your bastion every seven days to train one thing one. And I think the other thing is that it really highlights that... A bastion only belongs to one player and doesn't belong to the party because if you have a bastion with a training area, I can't train at your bastion because they're not my people. They won't train me. I think that that's a flaw, also, and I also think that that probably makes the training area too powerful if it allows the entire party to train there. So I, I think that there's an interesting. I, I, I think that there's an interesting kind of payoff in that but i really think that the i think that there's some opportunities again there's some kind of opportunities with the training area to really make it sing but a lot of it revolves around the fact that Bastion should belong to a party not to the individual so
1: right so on the training area just to to give you all my two cents on it i think that it's a great addition as well but i do think it needs work and i say that because i really like what it's trying to do yeah Exactly. And I do like the battle expert and I do like the unarmed combat expert because they make sense. You already know how to fight to some degree, right? So by regularly practicing with your combat or bat- your unarmed combat or battle expert, they help you keep that edge, and that's what give that's what giving you what's giving you this bonus. You already know the skill; they're helping you keep it sharp, and that's what giving what's giving you the bonus. But for The other three experts, you've got a skills expert, a tools expert, and a weapon expert. Uh, I'll start with the weapon expert because it does something that the other two doesn't. The weapons expert lets you choose the simpler martial weapon and become proficient with it, but you forget in seven days. If you already have proficiency with the weapon... You can use its mastery property for seven days, which we don't have access to yet because we're not in one DD, but it's giving you an additional benefit if you're already proficient, which at that point I think makes sense. You're proficient. You're training with the expert. They give you an edge. They help yeah. you maintain an they, edge. They teach you a skill, yeah. But if they teach you a skill, why would you forget the skill seven days later if you didn't know how to use a longbow and they taught you how to use a longbow? See what I'm saying? Or you go back to the skills expert, and you gain proficiency in one of the following skills, acrobatics, athletics, performance, sleight of hand, or stealth for seven days. So at the end of seven days, you forget the skill, which narratively, that does not make any sense. I know they don't want to give you a skill for free. They're trying to give you a skill temporarily, but my mind needs more to make that work.
2: Oh, don't even get me scared um, about the fact that you can learn it, 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 how to play it, it, a musical instrument by studying for one week.
1: Don't the even next it, one down is, yeah, is yeah. a tool or a musical instrument. Yeah, don't you, get can become, you can learn how to use any of those in a week, but then you forget. And those don't offer you what? anything if you're already proficient. If I'm already proficient, they should give me expertise for a week or something. It needs work. It needs something to help it sing Right.
0: I think I can help a little bit, and this is not me defending it per se, because I think it still needs work also. But I will say this, I can be taught how to do a V lookup in Excel. I can watch a training video, Josh can tell me how to do it, and he has done so on a number of occasions.
2: At least once, right? yeah.
0: Probably four or five times, back when we were ASMs at Microdyne or EnvisionNet. I know you've done it. If I don't consistently do that thing day in and day out for a long period of time, like if he teaches me, I do it two or three times for the report I'm working on, and then I don't touch it for seven weeks, I will forget that. I'll remember I knew it. But I won't necessarily quickly or enough, and certainly not in a combat situation or in a critical situation, which are the only times you're rolling dice or should be rolling dice, I won't necessarily remember it under those circumstances. So I think it emulates that to a certain extent. The problem, and this is where I think it needs work, I don't think it covers if you do this for a month or if you spend six months of downtime, then why does it go away? That's my problem with it. It doesn't carry it the rest of the way. I think there need, which is why I think that the answer to that question is, one, do these things scale? And there should be some piece in there if you do it X number of times over the course of either a period of time or a number of levels, then these things become permanent. I think there's something like that, or it should just be, you My did work. some extra train up. Yeah. You should just do, you did some train up. So for the next seven days, you have advantage because it's the techniques are fresh in your mind. So, like, you don't yeah. necessarily get the skill, but you just get advantage on it for the next seven weeks. And then in the case of those who are already proficient, maybe they should get that advantage. And then if they're doing it long enough, then maybe they get expertise. I don't know. I've always said my problem with the skill system is there's no way to improve it. Your ability in the thing is the same as everybody else's ability in the thing. There's only two tiers. There's, you know it and you're an expert in it, or you have natural talent in it. So I don't think the skill system is robust enough to really cover that ground. And they're not retooling. I would agree with that. I think that's the problem.
2: Especially because this is another one of those situations where as you proceed in level, it should be easier to learn rudimentary skills. So a 13th level bard should be better at learning a musical instrument in a week than a first than a fifth level bard. But the only way to do that is to make if you're gonna say you have to do it X number of times for that skill to be permanently, then that means that the fifth level bard needs to sh- will have to do it more than the 13th level bard, and there's no reverse there's no reverse scaling mechanic in, in D D. Like we we could try to tie it to like proficiency bonus or something like that, but proficiency bonus scales up. It doesn't scale backwards. So right. yeah, like maybe like a D6 minus your proficiency bonus or something yeah. screwy like that. Make a roll yeah. with a DC. That's yeah. yeah. 3.5
0: was the system that this is actually designed for. This particular thing we're talking about with the training thing was designed for 3.5 because it was a point system. And that allowed that training up in skills, right? My character might have five points in this thing and another character might have X points in this thing. So if you had a 3.5 skill system and the advantage-disadvantage mechanic, that's when this would be really sweet. Because you could say, you do this thing, you get a one-time bonus point in this thing. So you got that one point train up in this thing. uh, But you only get advantage for seven days and you have to do another train up to get another seven days of advantage. I would love to have had this in the 3.5 system because that's how you make this answer those questions. Yeah, I didn't forget the skill. I just didn't have that extra oomph. I didn't have that Oh, so it's that dip and weave, not the bob and weave. Like, that's what it's missing, and that's because, for all the right reasons, they made the skill system nice and easy to to learn for everybody, and that's why the game is is the most popular game by volume in, in the hobby, is because it's so easy to learn. They did that by getting rid of a robust skill system. They didn't go to a completely narrative system so you can just talk about it, they went to a mechanical system that was easier to learn. So by doing that, you shave off the ability to make it realistic. When we were watching Secrets of Blackmore, if you recall, one of the things that the Blackmore group really did as they were building role-playing was they were trying to achieve a verisimilitude, a, a better reality simulator within their war games. Right. And so their effort and D&D was created to create more realism in their games and eventually role playing. 5e brought that back to take away the realism to make it easier for people to onboard. But then you bring in a system like Bastion, whose a job by definition is to bring back some of that verisimilitude that people are craving but still using a system that doesn't really allow for that. My big fear about this is that's going to create some significant changes to this Bastion system if it goes through at all by the end of it. I'm hearing that feedback is really good so far on the Bastion system, so I am confident it will appear. But I think the rules will either be so complex it ends up not being widely adopted or what have you, and that's my big fear about it. It
2: already has the possibility of being super complicated. Like the rules are not simple the way that they are with the whole turns and actions. And it's, easily to, it's easy to follow. But this is a 24-page UA describing right. one one piece of functionality. It This yep. has the possibility of being a real junky boy.
0: If you had a robust skill system, you could simplify this because the skill system would do a lot of the work. It you could it, literally yeah. truncate your rules a bit and your mechanics a bit here by saying, add a bonus to your skill add a bonus to this skill because your skill system does that work but if this is trying to do all of that that makes this a little more complex and that's where i think you're going to lose a lot of people that's probably yep. why they put it at level five so it's only the people who really want to engage with it and it's not going to hit the players who just start playing when they bust out lost mine defend over or whatever the new starter set will be
2: yep All right, so all that said and done, let's let's add some final thoughts here to the Bastion UA. Glenn, you started, so let's, Nico, why don't you start with final thoughts?
0: My final thoughts, as I said, I am ecstatic that we're having this discussion and that Bastions are clearly going to be part of the 2024 product. I think it's important that this is here. I think there are a lot of missed opportunities and a lot of work. I hope it doesn't go in the exact form it's at, It's got a lot of scaling work. It's got a lot of leveling work. I think they need to really reconsider how they allow parties to interact with the system. I think they really need to work on making sure that anything that borrows from a specific class should only be accessible by that class. That way you don't have somebody else to quote Jeremy Crawford in three or four other videos on UA Topics. We don't want X stealing Y's lunch. That's why they made a number of changes to the system. They dropped the whole Divine, Arcane, and Primal spellcasting groups because there was feedback, and I see it, even though I loved that feel. But the feedback was it allowed too many classes to steal the wizard's lunch. and. They're right. That shouldn't happen. Don't now turn around and what was largely a good system, except for that. Don't create a new subsystem that does exactly that. That to me would be a tragedy because if we're going to do that, if we're going to steal the wizard lunch, give me those three groups back. Because yep. I would rather have that and steal the wizard's lunch than this and steal the wizard's lunch. Yep. The yep. last thing I would say and my biggest challenge in the area of opportunity is please, for the love of all that is holy, simplify this system so it's a little easier to work with and manipulate. Not as much number crunching. And please make sure it works with D&D Beyond. When you create awesome subsystems and you don't support it with your primary interactive tool, they sit and they die on the vine. Patrons, sidekicks, don't let bastions add to that list. And by the way, please bring patrons and sidekicks back and then start (laughs) supporting.
2: I, I totally agree with everything you just said, and I have nothing to add. I think you pretty much covered everything that I wanted to go ahead and say. What about
1: you, Glenn? I got a couple of final thoughts despite the fact that I started with what I hated because of how emphatically I hated it. I don't usually like to start with the negative that strongly, but I felt that the wizard's lunch wasn't just being eaten like they were taking his lunch money, his milk. And they may go home afterwards and steal his dinner, but... He kicked his dog. Think, right? <laughs> Next thing he was turning <laughs> into John Wick. I
0: don't advocate the kicking of dogs, and any dog that got kicked, I hope it bit whoever kicked it a lot.
1: There, it definitely needs some work, and there are some areas that could be adjusted to really make it shine. I think one of those is it needs some help on the concept, and we didn't talk about this too much, of the Bastion's turn, which happens once every seven days, and whether or not you're there. The Because Josh, you mentioned it earlier, how much you're tied to being at your Bastion yeah. every seven days if you want to be able to use most of the stuff that it can do is a little bit too limiting. I think that one of the things that needs to be added to it, maybe not at five, maybe you don't add it till nine, but at nine, say at nine, you can recruit a Seneschal, somebody who fully runs your bastion and your stead when you're out. So you can still use all of your things. You can still have your gambling den make money. You could still have your workshop turning out things that are important as opposed to making it completely just set on... Maintenance and generating a small amount of bastion points when you are not home. I think that could go a long way towards stepping it up. You get a little bit of that with the lieutenants that you can recruit yeah. with the war room, but it, they still can't run your bastion. They can, however, right. generate small groups of forces that you can build a small army with if you have enough lieutenants. Yep. But if you add in that one piece, because you are going to need, you are going to need a second in command. If you had in that seneschal or that the, the head of household, yeah. Yep. they should be able to run it for you in your absence. And I think I, that would go a long way as well.
2: I think that it would have been perfect to combine something like this with the leadership feat from D&D 3, which right. allowed you basically to build a party and, and use them for things.
1: The last thing this needs, the last thing this needs, it needs, needs, needs something that represents how you conduct your bastion, it's business and some of the bastion events that come up. If you're protecting the countryside, yep. some form of a reputation system with the local citizenry and kingdom yep. around you.
0: Yep. Cool. I just use. Totally stole my thought. I actually meant to talk about it a little bit earlier. you stole stolen
1: it because your turn was over. He just happened to clean cleanup.
0: Yeah. There's some behind the scenes reason why he, he stole it. But let me just say this, Glenn, you mentioned it when you talked about the Seneschal. The way to do that is to bring back the followers system from the three-point leadership feat. We have a leadership feat in 5e. It is not wonderful i think Snarks. it's, it's garbage if we did something where you gain followers to man your bastion that would be how you do that and that you can encompass that with how you conduct business your reputation subsystem needs to be a part of this as well simplify the bastion rules give us our followers back and get our improvements to sidekicks, get our improvements to Patreon patrons, and, pa- uh, patrons, and, and I'm, I think
2: I'm not sure that they can awesome. both simplify the rules and add a reputation system. I think that a reputation sure. system will complicate the rules, and that's probably why they didn't do it. Like let's be fair here. We can't say you have to simplify the bastion and provide us a way to go ahead and judge the reputation of me and my followers. I didn't the think it level.
1: needed to be simplified that much compared to like birthrights or something yeah. that took it to a larger scale. I thought this was pretty easy to understand, and as it cleans up, I think it'll be okay. I don't think it specifically needs simplification. It has almost the right amount of 5e crunch, in my opinion, because 5e is crunchy, let's be honest. It's not as crunchy as 3.5 was, but 5e, compared to a lot of the games that we've been playing lately, is a crunchy system. The
0: reputation system needs to be in 5e, period. Not necessarily tied to this, I just think the game needs needs a reputation system. Secondarily, I think the simplification comes in. The simplification needs to come into the turn thing that you mentioned, Glenn. I think that's the piece that I'm not fond of, like how the Bastion turns work. I didn't find it as easy as you did, but that's maybe that's my brain and how it works. But right. that's the part that I didn't care for. I think the system in general is simple. I didn't like the turn
1: system. For. Yeah. Well, I think that set system does need work. Yeah,
2: I think that Five E already has a reputation system. It's called leveled it's called levels and the fact that there are no evil characters done. If you're a 20th level hero, you're a hero. You're a 20th level hero. Everybody knows who you are. That's our show for this evening, everybody. I uh, appreciate you as always. And make sure you go check out our Patreon to go ahead and get into some of the exclusive content that we've been putting together up on uh, that channel. We are slowly winding down towards the end of the year here. Uh, so next week we have our interview with RPG Match. And then very quickly we're going to be coming to our year in review and our favorite episode of the year, the uh, the bloopers episode, which has a ton of actual play bloopers this year. Thank you everybody for listening. And uh, yeah, like I said, we'll be back next week. We'll talk to you then. Have a good night, everybody.
0: Good night, all. Later, all.
2: Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast.
1: You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at Journeys. Joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it
0: if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends,
1: for Legends Awake.